0: This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Father, thank you for this word from the Apostle Peter and from you this morning. I pray that it would encourage us, that it would point us to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. How important do you think it is to know what the Bible teaches? If I ask you, What is the main overarching story that the scriptures are telling? What would you say? Over the last few years, I've started asking people questions like this. Last year, I was talking with a young man in his 20s. I asked him if he had grown up going to church. He said, no, my parents told me they wanted me to make my own decisions about what to believe about that stuff. I said, okay, well, let me ask you this. Do you know what Christians believe? The young man answered, honestly, I really have no idea what Christians believe. He grew up about 12 minutes from this building. No idea what Christians believe. A few weeks ago, I was talking with another young man, this time in his 30s. When he was a kid, he had attended church from time to time with a friend. He'd even gone on a few youth retreats and youth conferences. At one of those retreats, this man said, oh, yeah, and I went on that conference and I got saved there. I said, tell me about that experience. And he said, well, a bunch of us went forward and, and we prayed a prayer and this man laid his hands on us and prayed over us and we got saved. I said, what does that mean to you that you got saved? And he thought for a second, and he said, honestly, it, it doesn't mean anything to And then I asked him, what do you think the central message of the Bible is? After all those times you went to church, all those youth retreats that you went to with your friends, what do you think the central message of the Bible is? And this is what he said. As far as I can tell, there isn't one. You see, these young men, they don't really have an accurate view of the Christian faith, the nature or the message of Scripture. One of them had not had not had not any exposure to the scriptures whatsoever. And the other had had significant exposure to the scriptures, but never really saw in them anything worth pursuing or anyone worth pursuing. What about you? How important do you think it is to know what the Bible teaches? What is that overarching central message of scripture? As we look at our sermon text this morning, Peter is going to answer this question for us. In three stages, he's going to answer these three questions. What are the scriptures? How should we engage them? And how long should we engage them? If you're taking notes, let me repeat that. What are the scriptures? How should we engage them? And how long should we engage them? All right, what are the scriptures? Every week, without exception, as far as I know, Jimmy or Robert or I, or perhaps a guest preacher, we stand before you right down in this area, and we open the Bible, and we read a text from it, and most of the time we exclaim, this is the word of the Lord. And you reply, why is that? Why out of all the things that we could do this morning do we come to this building and sit before this word and listen to it preached. We come every Sunday to this building, and we sit before this word, and we hear it preached because we believe it is the very word of God. Now, I want to acknowledge this morning that there are likely some in this room, perhaps others watching from home, who either don't really know what we mean by that or simply don't believe it what does it mean that the Bible is the word of God? Well, in just a few verses, Peter gives us a pretty robust and comprehensive doctrine of scripture. Get your your Bible out. Turn back to 2 Peter 1. Have it ready. I can't preach the whole book this morning. I need to at least mention this to you. Peter's letter is refuting the claims and attacks of some false teachers who have infiltrated the churches to which Peter is writing. And you may say, oh yeah, false teachers, false teachers. We hear this all the time. Paul's always refuting these guys. Now Peter's doing it. What's important? And though he doesn't say it explicitly, it seems that one of the accusations of these false teachers is that the apostles and their writings cannot be trusted. And in verses 16 through 18, Peter recounts the event of the transfiguration. And and I'm not going to revisit it. Jimmy did a wonderful job this morning just expounding that text in the midst of our service about Jesus being shown as glorious and radiant before them. And and Peter heard the voice of God speak, this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. Peter, James, and John saw what some have called the down payment of the glory to be revealed. And when Jesus returns, we're going to see that glory fully. And Peter says, we were there. You can trust our word because we were on the holy mountain with him. And and right there, that we, that means three specific people. It's not just we, uh, everybody, or we, all the apostles. It was Peter, James, and John. We were on the mountain with Jesus, and we saw this. And then he says something interesting. He says in verse 19, look at it. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter here is referring to the Old Testament. It almost seems like Peter is saying something like, not only are we sharing with you our testimony of what occurred, which is accurate, by the way, we have something more fully confirmed or more, or more robustly confirmed than a few people's testimony, even the testimony of the apostles. We have the confirmed truth of the scriptures. That's how you can know that what we're telling you is true. He says, if you want to be certain that what we are teaching about Jesus is true, look at the Old Testament. When you look at all the prophecies of the Old Testament, compare them to the life and the work of Jesus Christ, you are going to find that they fit him and his life perfectly. So the first thing we notice in Peter's doctrine of Scripture is this, the Word of God is true. It's true. It's fully confirmed. But the skeptic replies, well, how do you know that these Old Testament prophets weren't just making all this up? I mean, maybe they, maybe they batted a thousand. And Peter answers in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, no true prophet of God ever decided what he thought the truth was and then wrote it. And then the skeptic says, aha, you admit that men wrote the Bible. If men are fallible, then men wrote the Bible, then the Bible must have errors in it. Peter answers again, look at verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, if this is new to you, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear Peter. Peter we hear the word of God when it says, the scriptures are true. They were written by men, but these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit in such a way that these writings of men are the very words of God. Now, the Greek word here for carried along, it's a nautical term. It has the idea of wind catching the sails and carrying a ship across the water. What we're talking about here, mysterious as it is, is the source and origin of the Bible. Maybe you've never given much thought to this. You may say, that's pretty crazy. I'm not sure I believe that. Okay, wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. But Jesus promised it. John 14, 26, Jesus says to the disciples, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In this one sentence, Jesus essentially verifies that the writings of the apostles will be and are Holy Scripture and the Word of God. These writings became what we call the New Testament. So here in Peter, we have both uh, the confirmation, the Old Testament is true in the Word of God, and then the New Testament writings, the writings of the apostles and their associates, these also are the true words of God. Same origin for Old and New Testament. Word of God recorded by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit himself. Friends, that's a basic orthodox doctrine of Scripture right there. I wonder if it's new to some of you. That's what we believe. What is Scripture? It's the Word of God. It's true. It was written by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that men wrote the words that God wanted through their personalities, their life experiences, their vocabularies, all of these things, these men used in their writings, and every word is the, God, the word that God wanted written. That's the first thing Peter has to say to us. Why does it matter what the scriptures say? It's the very word of God. Now, if that's true, and it is, then, then the second part is, well, how should we engage the scriptures? What should our attitude toward them be? Peter answers this in verse 19 too. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do do well to pay attention. Now, if like me, now hang with me, hang with me. If like me, you didn't grow up in a Presbyterian church or another confessional church, you may not know that our tradition has these these teaching tools called the the confession and the catechisms. Jimmy referred to them this morning in, in Dave's installation. It's it's just a teaching tool that we think represents the teachings of Scripture. It's an easy way to communicate it. And most people in our circles, and now my circle, because I've been here a while, uh, they know the answer to the first shorter catechism question that asks, what is man's chief end or primary purpose? And the answer is, man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we do that? Well... Question two clears it up. Question two says, what rule or standard, and Jimmy referred to that in in Dave's installation, what rule or standard has God given us to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? This is the answer, the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament is the only standard to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Translation, if you want to have any idea how to live a life, a real, fulfilling, blessed, God-glorifying, God-enjoying life, you better have your mind drenched in the Scriptures. You see, I asked that first man if he knew what Christians believed. He didn't. And I asked that second young man if he could tell me what the central message of Scripture is. He couldn't. Friends, they say a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while. But I would think it is safe to say that neither of those men knows their primary purpose in life or where to find it. When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness to turn stones into bread, a a hungry, famished Jesus, Jesus responded with these words, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not live your life ignorant of the scriptures. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for you, and it's dangerous for everyone your life touches. Okay, sure, the Bible's important. I should pay more attention to it. Right, but Peter doesn't just say, pay attention to the scriptures. He says, still in verse 19, what a verse. It's packed full. Pay attention to them as you would a lamp shining in a dark place. It's very dangerous to walk in the dark. Many ER visits have followed this attempt. Now, there are many things that I could say about the darkness of this world, its governments, many oppressions, but the context of this letter makes me think Peter has that one thing in mind, false teaching, false teaching. You see, Peter's world was not that different from ours. There were attacks on the church that came from without the church, and there were attacks that came from within. Think about your world for a second. Think about your world for a second. When it comes to how to live a God-glorifying life, there's a lot of falsehood and folly out there, isn't there? If you aren't viewing your life through the lens of Scripture, you're walking through the dark without a light. That's what I'm saying. That's what Peter is saying. I don't have time to linger too long here, but this is, this is going to be something that I want you to wrestle with, Okay? Follow me on these scenarios. These are a few examples of what it's like to push back the darkness with the light of Scripture. When your own sin nature wells up and says to you, this little white lie won't hurt anything. Will you take the easy road of telling the lie to save some face or will the Holy Spirit remind you because your mind is bathed in Scripture that Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Will you push back that darkness that's welling up in you? When your enemy, the devil, says to you, no true follower of Jesus would have ever done such a thing. Will you doubt God's love for you? Will you begin to believe that God could never forgive such a sinner? Or will you, once again, repent and believe the gospel? Remembering that the scriptures tell us that Jacob was a liar and a scoundrel. David was an adulterer. Moses, David, and Paul were all murderers, and his grace saved them all. When you're speaking to a friend about abortion and your friend claims that a fetus is just a clump of cells not yet having any rights or personhood will you waver in your support of the unborn thinking maybe they're right or will your mind race to jeremiah where jeremiah god tells jeremiah before i formed you in your mother's womb i knew you will you push back the darkness with the light of scripture When a prominent Christian leader tells you that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus even address homosexuality or gender issues, will you think to yourself, that's interesting. I wonder if maybe God changed his mind about that or something. Or will your robust doctrine of Scripture that we've just talked about remind you that 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture not just the portions that record the words Jesus spoke on earth during his ministry, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for correction. In a very real sense, if any passage of scripture addresses an issue, Jesus has addressed this issue. They are his words. When culture makers of our day tell you that that gender is a matter of personal choice, not bound by biology, will you accept this as the next step in ultimate personal autonomy? Or will your mind race to Genesis one twenty seven, where the scripture tells us God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he created them. And perhaps most important. When you're visiting a friend's church as I was a few years ago and the pastor says from the pulpit that God did not really send Jesus to the cross to pay for sins, but only to demonstrate His love for us. Will you smile and nod like that congregation did? Or will your mind race to Isaiah 53 where the prophet writes, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Up on Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You see, in this list, we have seen how the false teacher takes many forms, doesn't he? There are false teachers in our culture. There are false teachers, sadly, in the church. The devil, your enemy, is the father of lies. And yes, at times, even our own hearts lead us astray. When the darkness of this world which surrounds us begins to close in and assault our minds, we need the only weapon that can drive it back, the Word of God. Applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, as Paul warns in Ephesians, we will be tossed to and fro by the waves and get this, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You you see, friend, you may think you're an independent thinker. Let me warn you, there is no neutral ground in the universe. None. Not one square inch. You will either be the slave of Christ or you will be a slave to sin. Tossed about by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Peter says, pay attention to the revealed written word of God like you would a lamp in a dark place. We would do well to heed this advice. And thirdly, how long should we do it? How long should we engage this this scripture? How long should we devote ourselves to the study of scripture? In other words, at what point can I say, I've learned enough scripture, I got it, I'm at the point now where I just don't need it anymore. I mean, just how long do I need to soak my mind in these truths? That's easy, until Jesus returns. Peter says, still in verse 19, amazingly, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The day in this verse is not just any day, it's the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus returns, judges the world, and makes all things new. I think Peter is saying this, live every day of your life in the context and through the lens of Scripture, the Word of God. Don't stop until the full realization, the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns. Until that day when you will no longer see through a glass darkly, but you will see Jesus face to face. You see, when Jesus, the morning star, rises, this darkness will be dispelled. He will be the light. We will walk in the full light of His glory. And what Peter, James, and John caught just a glimpse of on that holy mountain will become the reality. But until that day, the Scriptures alone carry the testimony about Jesus to us. Let me promise you something. You will never master this book. You will never plumb its depths. and You will never scale its height. And I don't know what our relationship with Scripture will be in the new heavens and the new earth, but I know this. Scripture says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 18, For truly I say to you, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, from this law, Until all is accomplished. There are still promises. There are still promises in this book that have not come to pass. But they are still about Jesus Christ. Jesus says not one word is going to fall to the ground. Everything will come to pass. Friends, know the scriptures. Because they point to Jesus himself. If I haven't convinced you otherwise, there's a passage that I want to turn to in Luke twenty four twenty five. 25 And those of you who are quick, if you want to turn there with me. Um, friends, you need to know this verse. If there are going to be a handful of verses that, that you memorize in Scripture, let Eric suggest this be on the list. Luke twenty four twenty five 25 and, and following. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus walking with two disciples after the resurrection. They've not recognized him yet. And he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The Old Testament. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The best reason to know the scriptures is they are going to show you Jesus. But what about that question I asked the second young man? What is the central message of the Bible? Well, it's the greatest news the world has ever known. It's the greatest story ever told. It's a true story. It's the True story. Greg Kokel calls it the story of reality. It's the story in which you and I are characters. And here it is, in the most summarized form I can manage. God made the world and all that's in it. And man rebelled against God and broke fellowship with Him. And deserves to die. But God But God, rich in mercy, chose to restore fellowship with His people. He has done this through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, to all who repent and turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And it will mean something. But that's not all. That's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ is coming again. In His first coming, He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death And he returned to the Father. Now the church, the people of God, we tell all who will listen that God who is rich in mercy has made a way for them to lay down their rebellion and fall into the loving and forgiving arms of the one true and living God through Jesus Christ. That's it. Now there's, there's much more. But that's the central message of Scripture because, friends, the day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. When Jesus returns to judge the world and make all things new, there will be two responses on earth, only two. There's no neutral ground in the universe. There will be the response of those who have longed for His appearing. It will be a response of elation and glory and celebration. We will see Jesus and we will run to Him. Those who have longed for the return of Christ will see all their hopes realized and they will no longer walk in darkness because the light of Jesus will be their light. The second response is heartrending, And because I love you, I tell you, it will be a response of terror and fear and regret. The Bible says that when Christ returns, those who have held on to their rebellion against God to the end, they will call out to the mountains and the rocks and beg them to cover them, to hide them from the face of Jesus Christ. Revelation 6:15 6, and 16, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves. And among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And listen, who can stand? Who can stand when God finally puts down your rebellion? That is a terrifying image. There's a song we sing here at Mountain Fellowship. It's my favorite song. I've said that before. It captures this fact of the two responses at the return of Christ. Listen to the last verse. Now he's standing, that's Jesus, in the place of honor, crowned with glory on the highest throne, interceding for his own beloved till his Father calls to bring them home. In that part of the verse, Jesus is still in heaven, waiting for the Father to say it's time. The verse continues. Then the skies will part as the trumpet sounds, hope of heaven and the fear of hell. But the bride, listen to this, but the bride, that's the church, the bride of Christ will run into her, father, into her lover's arms, giving glory to Emmanuel. You see what the author of the song is saying? The two responses are to the same event and the same person. the hope of heaven or the fear of hell. I love the last line of that song the best. While those who have held on to their rebellion against God will call on the mountains and the rocks to crush them in order to avoid one glimmer of light coming from the face of Jesus, those who have known his forgiveness, listen to this, those who have known his forgiveness will run into their lover's arms and give him glory. You see, the end of the story It's really just the beginning. The end of the story is the beginning. All that God is going to accomplish and has accomplished through this is to get us back to the garden in the presence of Jesus Christ. Face to face with the God who made us and loved us so that the real story can begin eternity with him. We will never tire of singing his praises for such a great salvation and a glorious future. Do you know the central message of the Bible? If you're an unbeliever this morning listening to me, I want to ask you this. Are you having a hard time seeing why people would run to Jesus Christ like a bride runs to her lover? I want to invite you to do something. Come and see. Come again and again and sit under the preaching of the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Come and see. The Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Many of us know his goodness. We want you to know it. We want you to know Jesus Christ, the central figure of this book. Come and see. Let's pray. Oh Lord, all that is in your word is just the beginning of the story. and Sadly, people don't even know it. I pray that you would open our mouths this week. Take away our fear and our timidity. We have the greatest news that has ever been known in the world and we keep it to ourselves. Forgive us, God, and open our mouths that other people would know and see and run into the arms of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray on that.